in for a show tonight, son. As we say in the radio business, if you put that on the radio, people will listen to it. Oh! I was a little disappointed that there weren't more students at the last game. I'm raising the ante. Anybody wants in, get in. Anybody wants out, get out. Social media reports that, that LAPD was called. LAPD was called. <laughs> Welcome to Beyond Reason. Now here's your host, Gage Dansby. Oh, do we have a good show for you today. Welcome back to Beyond Reason. I'm your host, Gage Dansby, and unfortunately, Sergey Harvey couldn't join us today, but that's all right. We're going to continue forward, and the first thing that I want to talk about, we're actually going to go to Big Ten news. Uh, we got uh, some college football news in the midst of the college football season. It doesn't even look like... Um, the college football playoff rankings uh, in the top four, there are no Big Ten teams, first and foremost. Uh, Michigan actually is the first one out. They're at number five. But currently, right now, we have Alabama, number one. Oh, no surprise there. And then, you know, you got Clemson at number two. <clears throat> and then Notre Dame at number four. We got LSU at number three. And uh, to be 100% honest, I'm not surprised. We got LSU, who actually is the number one team that has beat the most ranked opponents this year. So them being number three, not that much of a surprise. Alabama and Clemson, the two only undefeated teams left. So that's uh, pretty much their only reason why uh, we have uh, those two and uh, number one and two right now. Michigan, big surprise. Big Ten could possibly get into the college football playoff, hopefully the last time. Uh, they do better than the last time the Big Ten got into the college football playoff. Ohio State, um, and they just got absolutely destroyed by Clemson. It wasn't even a close game. Uh, before that, it was Michigan State who got totaled by Alabama. So when it comes to the college football playoff, the Big Ten doesn't exactly have the best track record. Uh, so honestly, I know I'm a Michigan State fan, but... If Michigan were to get into the college football playoff, I certainly would root for them. I mean, it's good for the Big Ten. It's good for the state of Michigan. Uh, the only thing that I hope, though, is um, number one, Jim Harbaugh. Um, he'd finally be able to pull off a uh, championship or uh, his first ever conference championship. He's going to need to get that in order to get into the college football playoff. He needs to win the Big Ten championship. Now, in order to do that, uh, you would have to beat probably the best Big Ten West team. So let's face it, the Big Ten East is so much more stacked than the Big Ten West. It's not even fair. But if I were to guess, I would say either Wisconsin or Iowa is going to take that. Now, if they beat Wisconsin or Iowa in the Big Ten Championship, which if it's one of those two, probably will. Wisconsin might give them a run for their money, but if it's against Iowa, I don't think so. I think Michigan's going to roll through them. Then... When and if they win the national championship, the only thing that I'm worried about is really more of the uh, fan base. I mean, Michigan, I will give credit to the University of Michigan, okay? They are a fantastic program. Athletics all around, they have a really good program. I will give credit where credit is due. Last year, Michigan basketball made it to the national championship game as a three seed, I believe. 
And, you know, that was a great run. John Beeline is an amazing coach. He's able to pursue the best out of his players. So, you know, good for Michigan there. And Michigan football, always been a story program. They're the most winning. They're the most winningest college football team in NCAA history, if we look back at the record books. But it's just the fan base. I mean, now some of the Michigan fans, I'm not I'm not speaking directly to you. Some of the Michigan fans, you know, you guys are very respectful. You know, you're just the classic fans, and that's perfectly fine. I'm a Michigan State fan. Sometimes I like to rub it in every once in a while, especially after, you know, if Michigan State beats Michigan, you know, just playful jabs every once in a while. But, you know, sometimes there's a couple of Michigan fans that I run into where it's just nonstop, you know, we are the best team in the world. Uh, no one can tell us different. You know, you guys all saw, you know, it's just kind of like that blind ignorance is bliss mentality. I get it. You love your team. You know, you go to the football games every year. You might be a season ticket holder. That's great. The only thing that I have a problem with that is when you start to demean other people or fans of other teams. I mean, I know it's probably one of the biggest rivalries in college football. You got the uh, Michigan-Ohio State game, right? The Michigan-Ohio State game is probably the, uh, I mean, they call it the game. I mean, when you just have to say the game and people know what you're talking about, you know it's on a prestigious status. Usually, that's because Ohio State and Michigan were always the ones that were fighting for the Big Ten title. It always came down to that game, and it looks like it's going to come down to that game again this year. Whoever wins that game in Columbus this year is probably going to head to the Big Ten championship, with the, win the Big Ten championship, head into the college football playoff. Whoever wins that Ohio State-Michigan game. But then you hear the stories of how, you know, what Michigan fans do to Ohio State fans when they come to Ann Arbor or vice versa, what Ohio State fans do when Michigan fans come over to Columbus. It's just, it's absolutely mind boggling the depths that people would go to for a team that they don't even play for. I mean, I get it. You're in the city. You're a fan. It's great to be a fan. But of course, what's the, what's the abbreviation that a fan stands for? Fanatic, right? When you get too far and you start to demean others and stuff like that, that's just poor sportsmanship. Everybody has their team. Everybody should root for one another. But come on. When you're starting to like intentionally pull fire alarms in the team hotels in order to prevent them from getting a good night's sleep or, you know, just like calling other fan bases names and stuff like that. Or there's even some recordings of just violence between the two fan bases. I mean, really? Is a football game that important where you're willing to commit violence to f the other fan base? Just just think about that for a second. I mean, honestly, are you... Do you honestly think that that's the best idea? And what makes you justify that? Oh, I'm a, I'm on the opposite team. It's, it's all good. You know, Michigan-Ohio State, big rivalry. It's all good. No, no, that doesn't justify anything. You're still being a terrible human being to the other person. It, it, okay, that's my two cents on it. The original story that I wanted to get into was University of Maryland. Now, of course, uh, we know that they have a very prestigious basketball program. Uh, usually, they're always in talks of uh, having a great Big Ten uh, basketball team every single year. They're always a great contender in the Big Ten. But I'm here to talk about Maryland football. And we've had a story over the summer of where there was a Maryland football player that 
unfortunately passed away during a practice. Um, some believe that it was just due to heat stroke um, or, you know, cardiac arrest. Um, those were the official findings from the autopsy. But um, so earlier this week, it, it was all eyes on head coach DJ Durkin. He was suspended indefinitely by the program um, and the athletic department of the University of Maryland in order for an investigation to be conducted into how Durkin handled the situation and uh, along those lines. And eventually, at the beginning of this week, I believe it was on Tuesday, that Maryland Athletic Department said, you know what, we're going to stick with DJ Durkin. And of course, that turned into a frenzy. The players were not happy, period. They wanted DJ Durkin gone because they believed it was under his watch. He needs to protect his players. They're his responsibility. We were just doing what the coaches told us which I completely get. I'm actually with the players in this. I mean, one of the jobs as a coach is that you are responsible for the players that you are coaching. Their behavior, of course, I mean, to a certain extent. I mean, some behaviors you can change. But, you know, their behavior, uh, your responsibility of how they conduct themselves on the field, uh, how you train them to become better individuals, better players on and off the field. I mean, that's what a coach does. Not only do they train them to be better athletes, on the field but they train them to be even better individuals off the field that is the definition of a great coach and DJ Durkin according to the players was not that um, they believe that since um, the unfortunate death of that Maryland football player during practice that was DJ Durkin's responsibility therefore he should have to pay the consequences of not coaching the University of Maryland football team anymore and there were protests and all the players and stuff like that protested their grievances to the university and its athletic department. 24 hours later, the athletic department reversed its course, said DJ Durkin's no longer going to work for us. Awesome. I mean, although I'm not exactly sure, I want to talk about why exactly did they think it was a good idea in the first place to bring back DJ Durkin. I mean, a player literally passed away, died on the practice field died under his watch now regardless of not of whether he was directly responsible for the situation that caused his death maybe the player had a history of heart complications so on and so forth okay there were things that even if Durkin tried his best in order to maintain the situation there were still some variables that could have been out of his control let's keep that in mind however DJ Durkin still needs to be able to try and prevent all those variables in order to create a safe environment for the players. Now, of course, that, that doesn't mean go easy on them. I mean, training and conditioning is always part of a football program in order to get the players, you know, healthy and uh, active and uh, make sure that they're in good condition for when football games come around the corner. But when you have a player that dies on the field, how, as the athletic department, could you say, yeah, this coach has the player's best interest at heart, and we believe that they are doing a good job of watching over the players on and off the field. No, that's the exact opposite of what DJ Durkin did. He created a situation where there was potential for serious harm to come to a player. Now, it's not like, hey, he promoted concussions or stuff like that by doing these different types of hits. That's a different thing. He created a situation where a player went into a cardiac arrest 
or heat stroke passed away. And you know what? I get the idea that the uh, Maryland football team is trying to, you know, speak and protest their grievances. And I understand them. I understand where they're coming from. And I am with them on this. The idea that a player were to pass away under the coach's watch where a coach's responsibility is to promote a safe environment for these individuals that want to be better at the game that they love. The coaches are supposed to provide an environment where those individuals can train in order to be the best they can be, to push them as individuals, to push them as greater men or women on and off the athletic field. And where DJ Durkin fell was that the environment where uh, the University of Maryland football program had during its offseason training didn't fit that criteria. And that's one of the pitfalls of a coaching staff. I mean, look at Bob Knight. If you don't know who Bob Knight is, he was a coach at the University of Indiana basketball team. You know, he is one of the great, he's considered one of the greatest college basketball coaches of all time. One of the best winning records, took Indiana to countless national championships. I mean, it. he was a great coach, but he sometimes crossed the line too much. That wouldn't even fly in today's NCAA. Like if Bob Knight were coaching now in his prime, he probably would have been fired by now because he was throwing chairs on the sidelines on the bench i mean he was there was video and audio of him yelling screaming berating the players some even reports of physical abuse even though it produced results i mean sometimes the ends doesn't justify the means though maryland football might have had a you know fantastic season i mean they're having like a subpar average season right now which is kind of the standard for maryland football but even if they were to have a fantastic season, be one of the best teams in the Big Ten, I still don't think that that end justified the means of creating an unsafe environment for the players to lead up to that point. Just because that you're doing well during the season doesn't mean that it justifies the idea that you're creating an environment for the players that can be unsafe or, um, you know, un... How would I put this? Dangerous for the players before the season starts. And it just doesn't it just doesn't fly. The ends doesn't always justify the means of getting there. You know the old saying it's not always about the destination, it's about the journey. Well, this is a prime example. Okay, just because uh, you're having a good result at the end it doesn't mean that you that the ways you took or the steps you took in order to get there mean that you're a good person along the way. I mean, or let's put this in a school perspective. Let's say you get an A on a test that you really needed. You know, it allowed you to make the dean's list, uh, allowed you to get over, you know, whatever GPA your school requires in order to make the dean's list. But you did some pretty sketchy methods in order to get there. Maybe you uh, cheated or, you know, maybe you were able to sneak a copy of last year's test or something like that. So at that point, although you did... C achieve a great main goal that you aspired to do did the methods you used to get there justify it if they were to find out you could have been kicked out i mean cheating colleges take that extremely seriously i mean plagiarism cheating you know it goes hand in hand that you could be expelled gone kicked out that's it see you later so it's that same type of concept 
the ends don't always justify the means. So we'll be right back with Beyond Reason. Next, we're going to talk about Derrick Rose. Is he back? 50-point game for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And speaking of the Timberwolves, Jimmy Butler is still, start, still trying to play some head games with the coaching staff and general management in order to see if he could get traded. That and more would be on to reason right after this. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Beyond Reason. And we just got done talking about Maryland College Football and the release of DJ Durkin. Now we're going to the NBA. So not only was it Halloween last night, happy bladed Halloween, everyone. There, you know, a whole bunch of players and stuff like that were dressing up. I mean, a Victor Oladipo coming in as Black Panther. LeBron James was uh, Jason Voorhees, uh, stuff like that. Anyways, not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Derrick Rose. Remember him? University of Memphis point guard that led them to the national championship, lost to Kansas in a Mario Chalmers three. But besides that, went to the Chicago Bulls, once the greatest point guard arguably in the NBA. The man could not be stopped. He was like a combination of Russell Westbrook uh, with his power and then Stephen Curry's uh, shooting ability. I mean, he was that good. And then a little thing called injuries came into play. Right? We had a whole bunch of injuries, uh, a bunch of torn ACLs. I think he had, um, you know, a torn meniscus at one point. And, you know, those injuries plagued him, really affected his play. He never really got to see or play a full season anymore, lowered his value a lot, eventually got traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers when LeBron James was back um, in the past couple of years. But, you know, he didn't really get a lot of playing time since, you know, they had Kyrie Irving. Um, they had Isaiah Thomas for a little bit for a very, very short period of time. But still, he didn't really see the court that often because he was still dealing with a bunch of nagging knee injuries and stuff like that. Eventually... Uh, Jimmy, well, no, not Jimmy Butler. Uh, Derek Rose went to the Minnesota Timberwolves. He's playing over there with Jimmy Butler and gang. And last night, he scored a 50-point game. That was his career high. Now, to think, for him to score his career high at this late in his career, not in the prime of his career when he was playing for the Chicago Bulls and he was, you know, the hottest thing in town, but right now where... Uh, He's playing for the Minnesota Timberwolves, almost forgotten. It's almost like he came out into this game and thought, you know what, i got to remind people that I'm still one of the best players to ever step on this court, point guard-wise, and say, you know what, I'm here to stay. And that's what he did. He dropped 50 points, very emotional at the end, tears rolling down his eyes. And I get it, you know, he's overcome a bunch of injuries, he's overcome a bunch of doubt, a bunch of hate, saying that he'll never be as great as he once was when he was with the Chicago Bulls. And now he's scored his career high 50 points per game, and, you know, he's living his best life right now. He's doing fantastic. There's, it, it's kind of just a showing of perseverance, you know. Good for Derrick Rose. I'm happy for him. You know, that's a, that's a great feeling to be able to, you know... Go out there, score your career high, such a late point in your career, prove all the doubters wrong, and say, you know what, screw all you guys, I'm here to stay. And, but, you know, things just had to be overshadowed. Remember when the Lakers visited Minnesota and Jimmy Butler put on a show, including a game-winning three by Jimmy Butler? When Jimmy Butler went to that first practice and said, you can't win without me, that's starting to become more and more true to this day. I mean, of course, they got Carl Anthony Towns, they got Andrew Wiggins, but without Jimmy Butler, that game 
or any of these games for that matter, the Minnesota Timberwolves record would not be as good as it is right now. And Jimmy Butler's trying to prove that. So after that Lakers game where he, you know, became the man of the year, all of a sudden, he's trying to play a little bit of mind games with the Timberwolves staff in order to try and get him traded again. He's saying that he's going to sit out the next game due to, quote, general soreness and claiming and that's an injury. General soreness. Okay, if you play a basketball game for that many minutes, yeah, you're going to be a little sore. Remember LeBron when he played for the Cavs, went to back-to-back finals? How many minutes did he play out of 48, 45, 46 back-to-back games? Do you think he was sore? Oh, absolutely. Do you think a bunch of other people were sore? Absolutely. Remember the 2016 NBA Finals when the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead and the Cavs took home their first ever NBA championship? Remember Matthew Del Vadova? He plays for the Milwaukee Bucks now, but Matthew Del Vadova, he was one of the point guards on the team. He was a backup to Kyrie Irving. He guarded Stephen Curry like white on rice. He did not let Steph Curry breathe in one of the games. You know, he he created an all-out performance, and did you think he was sore? Yeah, they had to take him at the end of the fourth quarter and put him into the locker room to get an IV into his system because he was so dehydrated from running around trying to guard Curry. Do you think he was sore? Absolutely. You think LeBron's sore? Absolutely. Do you think other players that are trying to carry their teams are sore? Absolutely. Look at uh, Portland Trailblazers. Do you think Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are a little sore carrying their teams? Probably. Kristaps Porzingis? Of course, when he was healthy. Probably. I mean, general soreness is not, in my opinion, it's not really that much of an injury, per se. I think Jimmy Butler is just trying to play a little bit of mind games with the Timberwolves saying, you know what, you guys go ahead and play a game without me. Let's see how you all do. I'll show you my worth by not playing a game for you guys. See how you do. You're probably going to come back with a loss, and then you're going to come crawling to me, wanting to me, wanting me to play another game for you again, and I'll say no. I'll say you got to trade me. Either that or we're gonna gotta, we got to renegotiate these contracts. That <laughs> That is a... Just an evil move, man. That's that Jimmy Butler is I didn't think that he would take it this far. I thought that the practice thing when he first went into practice, you know, started screaming at the bench and general management, you know, you need me, stuff like that. I thought that was gonna be as far as it was it was gonna take. But now it's starting to play a little they're trying to play mind games with each other. It's not gonna be right out. He's gonna say, Oh man, I'm injured. I'm sore. I gotta set out a couple of games. Meanwhile in his head He's going, yeah, let's see how you guys do without me on the floor. Let's see if Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins can carry you guys. Let's see if Derrick Rose can keep putting up 50-point games past his prime. And then you can come to me saying that I don't need, that I am not needed on this team. Because it's a lie. The Timberwolves need Jimmy Butler, and Jimmy Butler knows it. He's going to show that by sitting out games. Yeah, go ahead, guys. I'm just going to sit back here on the bench, you know, drinking some Gatorade, see how you guys do with my uh, general soreness injury, quote-unquote. And, uh, yeah, let's see how you guys do. Let's see how you guys uh, roll. Tom Thibodeau, what's your game plan without me on the floor? I'd love to see it. It... 
<laughs> Jimmy Butler is pulling out all the stops in order for him to get traded. But here's the thing. Remember when he said where he wanted to be traded to? The Clippers? What do the Los Angeles Clippers have? If I had a choice, I'd rather stay with the Timberwolves. It seems like they got more going for them than the Los Angeles Clippers. Lakers? Okay. I mean, they got potential. Sure, they're like 2-5 and five right now. That's one of the worst starts by a LeBron team in recent memory. But they got potential. Look at all the other players that are in LeBron's supporting cast now. Lonzo Ball. Brandon Ingram. Rajon Rondo. Cal Kuzma. I mean, they all have potential. But what do the Clippers have? They got DeAndre Jordan. But how much longer is he going to be there? They don't have Blake Griffin anymore. They trade him to the Pistons. Tobias Harris, okay, he's an alright forward. But they don't have Chris Paul anymore. He's staying with the Rockets. He loves James Harden and Carmelo Anthony and the gang over there. He's not going back to LA. You kidding me? They're competing in the Western Conference with the Golden State Warriors right now, which are almost it's almost not even a competition anymore. It's like the rest of the NBA and then the Golden State Warriors. They're in a league of their own right now. The Houston Rockets in the Western Conference have the best chance of beating them. Eastern Conference, maybe Boston Celtics. If Kyrie stays healthy and Jason Tatum does what he does best and proves to be the third round draft pick. No, the first round, third pick of the overall draft that he was. And prove to the Celtics that they need him. Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier, they did great last year. Remember how far they got? Without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, now they're back and, you know, seemingly healthy. If Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving are managing to stay healthy and then have that cast that got to the Eastern Conference Finals without them, oh man, they are definitely the best team in the East. Sorry, Philadelphia 76ers, that's the truth. I don't, know how much of the, I don't care how much of the process you trust, you're not as good as the Boston Celtics. I could see you making it to the Eastern Conference Finals against them, without a doubt, but not past that. You guys already played a game against the Boston Celtics lost. But back to the Jimmy Butler situation. Why would he want to go to the Los Angeles Clippers? I could see maybe the Lakers. He said maybe the Miami Heat. Maybe trying to take Dwayne Wade's spot after he retires after this year to try and be the number one man, man of Miami. And of course it's Miami. It's South Beach. Who wouldn't want to live there? I mean, that's like paradise next to Los Angeles. He wouldn't want to go to really any Eastern Conference team because he knows that in order to be a potential Eastern Conference team that's going to make it to the finals, he either has to go to the Sixers or the Celtics, and he's not going to be the star player there. And it sounds like he does want to be the star player wherever he goes. So that really only leaves some team in the Western Conference, except for the Miami Heat, of course. Miami Heat's always an option. But that only leaves a couple teams in the Western Conference that would be able to fit his prize tag. LA Clippers, but I don't see why Jimmy Butler would want to demean himself to that. The only thing they have going for right now is DeAndre Jordan, who's aging. And, you know, I mean, I'd say it's going a little bit downslope. Uh, they don't have Blake Griffin anymore, as I previously mentioned. What other team? Phoenix Suns? I mean, I know that they just paid a max contract to uh, Devin Booker, but, I mean, there is potential with DeAndre Ayton and gang. You know, he could be a really good fo uh, small forward over in Phoenix. They have potential. Uh, they got a lot of really good young guys over in Phoenix. So if the bill fits and uh, they're able to figure out a contract negotiation, I'd say maybe Phoenix Suns. Uh, Utah Jazz, 
You know, uh, you got Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, uh, Joe Ingles. By the way, very underrated shooter. Joe Ingles is the man. But you could you could uh, definitely see Jimmy Butler in a cast like that and be able to make a big impact in the Western Conference. They made it to the Western Conference semis against Houston, the Utah Jazz. And that was mostly off of Donovan Mitchell's back. Now if you add in Jimmy Butler in order to support Mitchell along with Joe Ingles and Rudy Gobert, you got a great star in five there. I'd say Utah Jazz or Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference for Jimmy Butler, not the Los Angeles Clippers. What's he thinking? Jimmy Butler, I understand. If you want to leave Minnesota, fine. That's your decision. I get it. Just why would you want to go to the Clippers? You're playing all of these mind games and giving all of your energy and effort in order to go to the Clippers? That doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't. So those were the big sports stories of the week. Other than that, I mean, you basically had some Halloween stories. You basically had uh, the 2016 NBA draft class. Besides a couple of players, they're doing awful, but that's just kind of an overview story that was made by Sports Illustrated. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about the biggest thing in entertainment right now. The biggest selling unit in entertainment history happened over the weekend. I'll tell you what that is after the break. Welcome back to Beyond Reason, the biggest entertainment product in history came out this past weekend, selling over $725 million in a matter of three days. What is it? Red Dead Redemption 2 by Rockstar Games. Yes. Now, of course, people were knowing that it's going to be a giant release date. There were a whole bunch of other developers and stuff like that that thought that they could compete against Rockstar. And, yeah, they thought wrong. But that's why, you know, other big franchises tried to move their dates to October or December to try and avoid this. But on October 26th, Red Dead Redemption 2 came out. Highly anticipated sequel or prequel, should I say, of Red Dead Redemption 1 that came out a few years back. And, um... It became the biggest selling entertainment unit in history. It surpassed Grand Theft Auto V by Rockstar Games as being the biggest entertainment product ever to be sold in an opening weekend. $725 million in a matter of three days. I'm not going to be surprised if it breaks a a billion by the end of the week. It's going to be that big of a game. So I just wanted to ask, there was a thing that came out. There was an article or an interview that was posted by uh, Vulture that talked with the head developers over at Rockstar Games and they said that they were putting in over 100 hour work weeks in order to get this thing done. Why would you do that to yourself? I mean, I get it. You know, they said no one was forced in order to work 100 hour work weeks. You know, it was a passion project. They all loved to do it. They all wanted to do it. But still, 100 plus hour work weeks, just imagine, try to wrap that around your head. 
you know, if you worked 40 to 50 hour work weeks, imagine doubling that in one week. And then just doing that on a regular basis. I know that game development is a really tight industry right now, but it's absolutely insane the hours that developers and publishers make these guys go through and then the criticism that they can take if their game is not absolute perfection. I mean, look at the games and passion projects that people have worked on for years. They put their blood, sweat, tears, countless hours of overtime into creating something that they love for the people and for the consumer. And then the consumer harps back at them saying that the game is not exactly how they as the consumer wanted it to be. Here's a message to the consumer. If you want the game to be exactly how you intend it to be, make the game yourself. Otherwise, don't complain. Don't pay the $60 or so in order to get that game if you're not going to like it. That's why people don't pre-order anymore. But it's just appalling to me that these guys and girls of the video game development industry work these countless hours and just don't get nearly as much recognition as they deserve. I mean, look at all of the articles about Red Dead Redemption 2 right now. They're talking, oh, it's a fantastic game. It's one of the pinnacles of gaming, you know, in the past decade or whatever it is. But nothing is really talked about the people behind it that made the game possible, except, of course, the development staff itself. Think about it. Have you ever read a Red Dead Redemption 2 article or review yet that really talks about the staff? No, it talks about the game. Sure, the game is great, from what I heard. But the development staff that put in 100 plus hour work weeks, you know, day in, day out, in order to get this product to you, that deserves some recognition. That's just what I want to say. So thank you all so much for joining me on another episode of Beyond Reason. My name is Gage Dansby. Again, if you miss this episode, we are in podcast form on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Overcast, you know, whatever podcast platform that you choose that's your favorite, we're on there. So feel free to tune into those episodes, catch up with previous episodes if you missed the show, and I will catch you all next time. See you later on Beyond Reason.